Thank you for joining us on the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory Church, we're all about helping people win. And today's message is going to help you do just that. So, let's get started. Well, you ready for the Word of God today? How many of you are ready? I mean, you're ready. You couldn't be more ready. You got your notes out. You got your pen ready. Come on, we're in a series of messages for the new year that we've entitled Clear Vision. And what we've been doing is we've been simply taking the formula, see, say, and so, and walking it through seven key areas of God's word for our lives. So far, we have covered identity, right? Most of the issues and challenges we face in life come out of a wrong perspective of who we are in Christ. When you begin to understand who you are in Christ, it will answer a lot of the questions that you're seeking for answers in. So once you discover that, then you'll be able to become what God has called you to become. Then we talked about our priorities. Until our priorities are God's priorities, nothing in your life is going to be right. You're always going to be battling the wrong things because our priorities have to be his priorities. Now that we're in the month of February, uh, we began a discussion on relationships. And uh, last week we started on seven things that you can do to improve your marriage starting today. And unfortunately, we only got through three of those points last week. I mean, it was good stuff, but we only got through three. So I invited you all to come back this week, and I'm so thankful that you did, because we're going to dive into the other four areas of seven things that you can do to improve your marriage starting today. And I just want you to know, I think the second half of this message is just as good or maybe even better than the first half. All right, so you, you're going to be glad you, you came today. So if you're ready, let's get started with just a little bit of marriage humor. We tried this last week. It was, it was okay, but I think, I think this will be better, right? Joe and Bob, uh, Joe asked Bob to help him out on the deck after work. So Bob just went over to Joe's place after work. When they got to the door, Joe went straight to his wife gave her a hug, told her how beautiful she was and how much he had missed her at work. When it was time for supper, he complimented her on her cooking, kissed her, and told her how much he loved her. Once they were out working on the deck, Bob told Joe that he was surprised that he fussed so much over his wife. Joe said that he'd started this about six months ago and it had revived their marriage and things couldn't be better. Bob thought he'd give it a go, so he went home, gave his wife a big, massive hug and a kiss. He told her that he loved her, and his wife burst into tears. Bob was confused and asked why she was crying. She said, this is the worst day of my life. First, little Billy fell off his bike and twisted his ankle. Then the washing machine broke and flooded the basement, and now you come home drunk. All right, here we go. You ready? Come on. Let's review what we covered last week real quickly. These are things you can do to improve your marriage starting today. Number one, see marriage the way God sees marriage. See, that's the problem. Most of us don't see marriage the way God sees marriage. We see it in terms of in love for a lifetime, and that's just way short of what God sees marriage. How does God see marriage? God created mankind with purpose, male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, 
Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take over. Take dominion. God created us to reign and rule on the earth. He gave us a purpose for living. God wants your marriage to be lived on purpose. The problem is most marriages are not lived on purpose. They are just lived, right? God wants us to return to living in purpose. So we told the singles, you're not just looking for someone with whom you can fall in love and spend the rest of your life with, but you're looking for someone who can help you fulfill your God-given purpose. If you're married today, we encourage you, come back to the understanding that your marriage has purpose and begin to live your marriage with the purpose that God gave it to fill the earth with God-like people. Not only our natural children, but spiritual children, right? We raise our kids to serve the purposes of God, but we're reaching into the world to those who are far from God and we're helping them come into a relationship with Jesus, thereby filling the earth with God kind of people. And we encourage men, take the lead. Take the lead in your home. Take the lead in your family. Lead your family in spiritual things. Number two, prophesy over your marriage. What does that mean? Simply put, it's the declaration of the word and the will of God over your marriage. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So the simple thing is watch your words, right? Don't use cutting words. Don't use belittling words or berating words. Don't use angry words. Use life-giving, grace-empowering words. When you're speaking to your wife or when you're speaking about your wife, let them be grace-filled, life-giving words. Ladies, when you're speaking about your husband or to your husband, let them be life-giving, grace-empowering words. Words And for singles, declare God's will and his word over your future spouse and God's intention for them. Don't wait. Begin now to make those declarations. Number three, practice the golden rule, right? Practice the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So however you would want your spouse to treat you, so you treat them. I believe this one principle right here could revolutionize your marriage, could make it better than you ever dreamed possible if we would just begin to treat others, one another, as we would want to be treated. All right? So here we are. Number four, we're going to dive in today. This is number four, and I want to let you know right up front, for those of you who are parents, you maybe have younger kids, here, this is PG-13. Point number four is PG-13, all right? So I just want to forewarn you. Here we go. Number four, honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. These are seven things you can do to improve your marriage starting today. Honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. Now, for those of you who don't understand biblical lingo, the marriage bed means the sexual relationship between a husband and his wife. Just so we're all clear on that, all right? said, honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. We need to honor marriage. Look what it said. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four. Look at this verse. 
marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So in other words, we need to place the value on marriage that God places on it. We need to honor marriage the way that God would honor it and keep the marriage bed pure, right? The marriage bed. We need to keep it pure. There are three ways we do that, sexually and physically, right? We, we don't want to be invested and involved in adultery, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, right? God said, no, that's, that's not what we want to do. We, we don't honor God when we're invested in that. And it's not just the act of sex. It's also the thought, the fantasy, Jesus said it this way, if you so much as look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So it's not only the physical act, it's the mental aspect. The two words that are used here, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. It's interesting, the word that's translated sexually immoral, the Greek word is porneo from which we get our word, pornography. And pornography is a real issue in our world. 60 to 70% of all men have a problem with, a challenge with pornography on a weekly basis. The other 30% are lying. Because this is an issue we as men face. We're visually stimulated. And therefore, we are constantly being bombarded and barraged by this. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, pornography will rob you of sexual or, uh, of in, uh, intimacy with your spouse. It robs you. You see, I know, I know a lot about this because I had my own struggle in this area. Little did I know when I was 11 years old that the adversary would plant a seed in my young heart at 11 years old with the intent to destroy my life, my marriage, and my ministry. And it wasn't until I came to a point in my life when I could not live with the lie any longer. I had to tell somebody. I had to, I had to get it out in the open. I had to remove the secret. And it was only when I removed the secret that I was able to find the grace to help me overcome the addiction. You've got to get free. And pornography robs you of intimacy because you hide it. You don't want anyone to know. And so it, it, it keeps you from being totally intimate with your spouse. And it, it causes you to have uh, expectations that aren't real. I don't know how to tell you this, guys and gals, because I know this isn't just a male problem. This is growing in a female problem. And sometimes females' addiction is a little bit different. You're, you're more addicted to romance, to Hallmark, and you want your husband to act like that guy who always looks good and always smells good, is so thoughtful, always caring, right? And you begin to fantasize that on your spouse, 
right? And so you, you, I'm not telling you, but that's not real. There's nothing in pornography that's real. They're acting. And if you think you can come home and have your spouse act that way, you're gonna be vastly disappointed because that's just not the way it works. But God says to, to deal with that. And guys, if you're struggling, or even ladies, if you're struggling in this area, I wanna encourage you, find somebody that you can tell, I'm struggling in this area. Would you help me? Would you pray with me? Would you hold me accountable? Because I don't want anything to destroy the marriage that God has given to me. And emotionally, we have to protect ourselves emotionally. Be, care of, uh, be careful of emotional attachments. Most affairs begin as emotional attachments. You begin dialoguing with someone of the opposite sex. There's an interest. Then you begin to joke. Then you begin to flirt a little bit. And pretty soon you've got this emotional attachment and you begin to think, well, that, that, that girl understands me or that guy understands me better than my spouse does. I, ne I never have these conversations with my spouse. Well, why not? You need to have those kind of conversations. Have that kind of flirting. Come on, somebody. With your spouse. And singles, this is so important for you to know and to understand. As a single person, you need to honor marriage. Place on marriage the value that God places on it. And to keep the marriage bed pure. So here's what you need to understand as a single person. Marriage is more than a ceremony. Marriage is an act. The act of marriage. In Genesis chapter number two, there are two aspects to every marriage that God instituted. Look what it said, Genesis two. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's covenant. Covenant. We make a covenant with one another. Then they become one flesh. That is consummation. Covenant comes first, then consummation. Ceremony comes first, then celebration. In every covenant, there's always the writing and the consummation. God declared a new covenant through Jesus Christ. I'm giving you a new covenant. He entered into a new covenant with us and then gave us the celebration of communion. So that every time you celebrate communion, you're remembering what? The covenant. That's the purpose of the sexual relationship. It's the consummation of the covenant. Right? When done in God's order... There is no shame. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. That's the way God intended it to be. But consummation without covenant is a recipe for disaster. 
If you experience the consummation without the covenant, you're only asking for trouble. Why? Because it's a violation of God's order. And thereby, because it's a violation of God's order, (laughs) it effectively destroys your testimony. What's your purpose in life? What's the purpose for your marriage? It's to fill the earth with God kind of people. But how can you lead people to Jesus when your own marriage is out of order? When your relationships are out of order? How are you as a single person sleeping with that other person going to try and tell someone else Jesus is the way to life? How are you as a married couple going to convince someone else they need Jesus when your own marriage is barely surviving? Come on, we need to understand the significance of this. And secondarily, sex outside of the covenant often produces shame in our life. Shame. I don't have anybody to compare in a sexual relationship with the one because this is the relationship, the relationship I'm supposed to have with my wife, the sexual relationship, she's the only one that knows that part of my life. And I'm the only one who knows that part of her life. Therefore, there's no shame in it. When you bring in all kinds of other partners, all of a sudden we've got comparison. There's shame. There's there's guilt. And now I'm... There, there, there's, there's shame. God didn't want you to have shame. So he said, honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. Right? Now, how many of you have ever asked the question, what is the will of God for my life? You ever asked that question? How many of you would like to know what the will of God for your life is? Would you like to know that? Can I show it to you today from the scriptures? All right, come on. Look at it with me. First Thessalonians chapter number four. Beginning at verse three, look at this. It is God's will, all right? Let's just stop right there. How many of you would say this is the will of God? (laughs) It is God's will that you should be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a sacred purpose, a holy purpose. That's what God does with us. When we become saved, he sets us apart for a sacred, a holy purpose. When we get married, God sets us apart as a couple for a sacred and a holy purpose. It's God's will that you be sanctified that each of you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not to be like the world. Come on. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to have our appetites and our values based on what the world values. It's real quiet in this church. So that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. 
The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. You're not rejecting That's right. his Holy Spirit. Well, I guess that about sums it up. <laughs> Honor marriage. Give marriage the value that it is deserving of, the value that God places on it, That's right. and keep the marriage bed pure. So Amen? Amen? Everybody okay? All right, let's, 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 let's move on. Number five, make Marriage fun, keep marriage fun. Yeah, come on, make marriage fun, keep marriage fun. You see, I believe laughter is essential to life. I believe that. I think we need to laugh, and we need to laugh a lot. We need to, to fill our lives with joy, with enjoyment. We need to laugh, right? I love these scriptures, Proverbs chapter number 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Come on, some of y'all just got way too serious. Can I just tell you, you're taking life way too seriously. Hey, you lost the joy. You've lost the enjoyment. You've lost the fun. But a merry heart does good like a medicine. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on. The joy of the Lord is. I believe we need to create an atmosphere within our marriage that, that brings joy and laughter. Find things that you love to do together that bring enjoyment into your world and do it as much as possible. Come on, bring an atmosphere of laughter into your home. Come on, there's strength there. Look at this scripture that Jesus gave in Revelation chapter two to the Ephesians church. Listen to what he says. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. How many of you remember when you were first courting, when you were first starting to date? You remember, remember those days? The fun you tried to create? The fact that you had to be with other, each other all the time? Remember those times? Right? You were looking for opportunities for which to get together. Because you did that all the time. You remember those phone calls you had late at night? Right? You're on the phone. You're talking to midnight, one in the morning. You start, you're, both, you're both just about ready to fall off. Uh, you hang up. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Okay, we're going to hang up on the count of three. One, two, three. You didn't hang up. No, you didn't hang up. You remember those phone calls. Right? Remember those things you used to do? When Pam and I were, 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 were dating uh, we, we actually courted four and a half years before we were married, two and a half of which we were engaged. But I, at the time of this, I was living in Billings. She was living here in Great Falls. And I would get done with work on Friday and I would drive all the way to Great Falls. We would spend Friday night and Saturday together. Then I would get up early on, on Sunday morning, like 4.30 and hit the road back to Billings so I could be in church at 9.15 on my job, right? And I did that because I got to spend some time with my girl. Go ahead, go ahead, Pastor. Would I do it now? Absolutely. 
right? Why? Because that's what love does. That's, you know, we wanted to be together. We, 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 we enjoyed being with one another, right? But then, then you get married, and you stop doing those things, and you wonder, did I marry the wrong person? No. Here, let me, let me, let me give you, a, this, this, this will rock your world. When, when couples come in to get married, and you ask them, why do you want to get married? The most common answer is, because we love each other. We love each other. And I have to laugh because that's not true. The reason they want to get married is not because they love each other, it's because they love themselves. And there's something about that other person that makes them feel good about them. Because they feel good about them, it evokes a response back towards them. So they think it's love for them, but it's really they love themselves. But then you get married and you stop doing those things that you did before. I mean, why? I've already got my game. I've hunted. I bagged my game. Why do I need to hunt anymore? Let me tell you guys, you'll be hunting for the rest of your life. It's the second law of marriage. It's the law of pursuit. And as men, we need to know we need to be pursuing our wives constantly and continually. Finding ways to demonstrate to them that we're thinking about them, that we love them. Because it makes them feel good about them, which creates a response of love towards you, which makes you feel good about you, makes you want to respond in love back to them. So every morning, every morning I get up, I try, I try to do this every morning. I roll out of bed, I go over to the coffee pot, I make my wife a cup of coffee, and I bring it to her in bed because I know my wife cannot begin the day without a cup of coffee. So I bring I set it down on, on her nightstand. She rolls over and says, oh, thank you. Okay. Point for me. And I go and I get ready, you know, I'm getting, getting I'm, I'm heading out the door to the office. I go back into to the bedroom and I, I find her. I say, I'm leaving, sweetheart, love you, and I give her a kiss every day without, without fail. Another point. I got two points, but here's the deal, guys. You got to remember this. All the points that you scored for today evaporate at midnight. And tomorrow morning's a whole new day. Right? You see, it's about finding, finding ways to bring joy and laughter into your world. Find things that you enjoy doing together, things that make you laugh, and do it as much as you can. I really do believe this. I believe this with all my heart, that joy is the precursor to love. That when, when you're full of joy, love naturally follows. But where there's no joy, your love evaporates. There's just no, because joy brings life. Joy brings love. So keep the marriage fun. Make, make the marriage fun. All right? Number six, here we go. We're doing good. Number six, I like this one. 
Use your faith. Come on, use your faith. You know, you wouldn't think as a pastor I would have to stand before my congregation and tell them, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your relationship, you need to use your faith. I mean, after all, we are a faith people. We believe faith is one of the primary uh, uh, keys to living the victorious, abundant life that God has for us, right? We use faith for everything. We get saved by faith. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. You have to have faith in order to be saved. We use faith for healing, right? We, 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 we have a sickness. We have something going on in our body. We need to exercise our faith to believe God for healing in our bodies. How many times in the scriptures do we see Jesus say, your faith has healed you or your faith has made you well? We use faith in our finances, I'm here to tell you, it takes faith to be a tither. Especially when you're first starting out. That's a huge leap to step into 10% of my income, goes to the local church. What up with that? I'm telling you, it's faith. But then after a while, you begin to discover that when I stepped out on faith and I put God first in the area of my finances, God's word is true, and he begins to be be blessing and favor on my life like I never knew I could have it before. But it takes faith. So why is it that we as followers of Christ use faith in every area of our life, but when it comes to our marriages, somehow faith just doesn't apply? It's like we're just left on our own human efforts to make our marriages be what God intends them to be. I'm telling you, you need to use your faith. You need to get your faith out there and begin to believe God for your marriage. Begin to operate by faith. Believe that your marriage can get better and better with every year that passes. Come on, Pam and I, we have a great marriage but it's not anywhere where it can be. So we're continuing to believe God. It's gonna get better and better with every year. We're, 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 we're so excited about what the future has for us because we know marriage was intended to be better every year. But it's not gonna happen just because we're attached. It's because we used our faith and we dared to believe God that our marriage could be better that we would use the tools that we have been given and invest them daily so that our marriages could be what God intends them to be. Now, I know you, you might be sitting there today and, and you might be thinking in the back of your mind, well, pastor, you know, that's all great for you, but you know what? I, I, just, I just really don't have much faith for my marriage. I just don't have much faith. Well, I got some really good news for you. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much faith. Look what Jesus said, Luke chapter 17. Look at this. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. It doesn't take much faith. Just use what you have. You may be thinking, I don't have much faith. Go ahead and use it. 
And I promise you, as you begin to use that faith, it's going to start to grow. You're going to find more faith. You might say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I don't have any faith. That's a lie, too. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus has given to each of us the measure of faith. You have the measure of faith. You just need to use the measure that you have. All right, so let, let's use the faith that we have. Come on, use your faith. Number seven, here we are, we're at the end. How many of you want me to come back next week and finish? Oh my goodness. Now here we go, I, I'm gonna finish this today. I've got, a, I've got a great message for you next week. All right, number seven, here it is, ready? Don't do marriage alone. Seven things you can do to improve your marriage starting today. Don't do marriage alone. You see, here's what the Bible says. There is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So don't try to do marriage all by yourself. Don't try to do marriage just as you as a couple trying to figure this thing out. No. For heaven's sake, no. Get around some people. Get around some, some folks who, who honor marriage the way you want to honor marriage. Get around some people who've got some experience and, and you can see in them they've got a love for God and a love for his purpose for their life and for their marriage and get around them and learn from them. Yes. Say, come on, I want, I want to learn how to make our marriage better. Could you, could you help us? Don't do marriage alone. That's the dumbest thing you could do. The Bible clearly instructs the older to teach the younger. We who are older and more seasoned in life ought to be living our marriages at a level that the young, uh, uh, younger generation has not yet discovered so that we can impart into them. Older men teach young men, right? How to truly love and respect the opposite sex. How to, how to care and cherish them. Not to see them as an object to be used, but as a treasure to be valued. And older ladies teaching younger ladies how to respect a man, how to speak into the very essence of his being and lift him, make him, lift him higher than he could ever be because you know what a guy's number one need is? Respect. Today, mo most men do not feel adequate as husbands, as fathers, as workers. And they need a cheerleader, someone who will believe in them so much they'll speak right into the very core of their being. And a woman's number one need is security. She needs to be cherished and valued and protected. And it's the older generations responsible to teach the younger generation. So if you've been married 20 years or longer, anybody here been married 20 years or longer? All right, there's not very many in this service. Most of them were in the first service. 
But we got a responsibility to this younger generation to teach them, to show them how marriage is supposed to work, how God intended it to be. Guys, this is particularly hard for us. It's hard for guys to be vulnerable. We want to be macho. I can handle this. I'm the man. Come on. We don't need nobody else. We got this. We can do this. I know we don't need no counseling. No, no, no. Is your marriage getting better with each passing year? Or is it getting worse? Or has it stalemated? And you're just two people traveling parallel lines. You're supposed to be getting closer. You're supposed to be getting better. And if you don't know, guys, if you don't know whether your marriage is getting better or worse, ask your wife. She'll tell you the truth. So what do you think? Do you think our marriage is getting better or do you think our marriage is getting worse? Just ask her. She'll be honest or she'll tell you. No, it's, it's not where it's supposed to be. It could be better, right? Well, we better get some help. Come on, we need to get some help, whatever it takes, because I honor marriage and I value marriage the way God values. I value our marriage the way God values marriage. Therefore, I, I, I don't wanna try to do this all myself. I, want, I need to get some people around me who can help us have the kind of marriage that, that is growing and, and is vibrant and, and, and has all the things that God wants it to have. And can I say to you guys, it may be hard to be vulnerable, but do it anyway. Why? Because your kids are counting on you. I said your kids are counting on you. They're watching you. And you want your kids to grow up and fulfill the purpose of God to their generation? Then you better bring your marriage into where God wants it to be so that they see your marriage fulfilling God's purpose for your generation. Not only are your kids depending on you, your church is depending on you. Come on, we depend on you. Right? Strong Marriages make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. Strong churches have greater influence in the community. Not only are your kids depending on you, not only is your church depending on you, but I'm here to tell you, the lost world is counting on you. There is a whole world of people beyond these four walls who have no relationship with Jesus. And they're counting on us and our marriages fulfilling the purpose of God in our generation to help them come to know Jesus. But if our marriages aren't right, we can't reach our world. So, let me conclude with this. Marriage takes two. I said marriage takes two. No one spouse can do the heavy lifting by themselves. No one spouse can make a marriage work. It takes two. So guys, you need to do this. Guys, you need to do this. You need to see marriage the way God sees marriage. Yeah. 
Your marriage has purpose. You need to begin to prophesy over your marriage. You need to begin to speak life and empowering grace over your spouse and over your marriage. You need to practice the golden rule. You need to honor marriage. Give it the value it deserves and keep the marriage bed pure. You need to make marriage fun and keep it fun. Come on, guys. You need to use your faith. Get out of the boat. Start believing God for something better in your marriage. Quit existing. Start living. And don't do marriage alone. Come on, guys. Let's help one another. Let's help one another. Get around some guys who can help you experience the best that God has for your marriage. And gals, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to see marriage the way God sees marriage. It's got purpose, and you need to begin to live your married life with the purpose that God gave it. You need to begin to prophesy over your marriage. You need to begin to speak life and grace-empowering words over your spouse. You need to practice the golden rule. You need to honor marriage. Give it the value that God gives it. And keep the marriage bed pure. You need to make your marriage fun. Quit being a drag. And keep it fun. Keep it fun. Use your faith. Come on, gals. Use your faith. Get out there. Dare to believe God for something better even in the face of what doesn't look like his will, come on, keep believing. And don't do marriage alone. Come on, get around some other godly women. Don't talk about how bad your marriage is. Talk about how good it could be. Come on, right? And, and here, here's the really, really, really good news. You can do this. You can do this. And I hope you got something out of this message today. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope this message has strengthened and encouraged you. Join us again next week for another great podcast with Victory Church where we're helping people win.